Welcome to this week's podcast, Building Blocks of the Indian Economy. I'm your host, Amar Meni. Now, we have examined coal, oil, and gas as inputs into India's energy economy, which brings us to the most exciting part of India's energy mix. Yes, renewables. That is, energy produced from the wind and the sun. We tend to build most economic theory on the idea of scarcity. In fact, economics is largely the exploration of how best to utilize scarce resources. But what about resources which are boundless, abundant, never-ending? We do not expect the sun to stop shining or the wind to stop blowing. All we have to do is create the right system to exploit them for our needs. Well, that is where the economics starts. In 2014, Prime Minister Modi set a target for the creation of 175 gigawatts of renewable energy capacity by 2022. Well, by the end of 2022, we had reached only about 60% of that target. But we have to also marvel at the rapid progress that was made during the 2010s. At the start of that decade, we had, more or less, no solar energy capacity in the country, but by the end had close to 40 gigawatts of solar power alone. And so from almost nothing, we had a 5% share of the global solar energy capacity. Again, at the start of the 2010s, solar energy as an input into electricity cost three or four times what coal did. But by the end of the decade, that cost was at parity or even below coal. India has now become the lowest cost producer of solar power in the world. We produce solar power at one-third the cost of a less sunny country like Canada. Wind power has grown at quite a pace, but it will retain a smaller share in the renewables mix at perhaps half the production of solar power. India is much sunnier than it is windy, and whilst, unsurprisingly, Rajasthan has been the centre of the solar boom, coastal states like Gujarat and Tamil Nadu have been at the centre of wind power production. We now have huge wind power farms like Mundapal in Kanyakumari and solar power parks like Bharla in Rajasthan. And so, whilst the 2014 target was not met, to now have over 100 gigawatts of renewable energy being produced each year from more or less zero a decade ago is quite spectacular progress. Of course, that is looking at the glass as half full. So let us take a closer look at where all this renewable energy development is taking place. Yes, of course, Rajasthan fulfills all the conditions for solar energy investment. It is a desert state with plenty of sunshine and also plenty of non-agricultural land. And so Rajasthan accounts for about half of the capacity under construction across India. There are two basic types of solar power capture. Massive solar farms, like in Rajasthan, stretching for many hectares, and smaller rooftop solar panels. A distant second to Rajasthan is Gujarat which has a proactive state government which encourages not just producers of solar energy, but consumers 
with a generous and efficient subsidy for households and businesses to adopt solar panels. But after that, it is a very distant third to Maharashtra, with relatively small developments taking place in Andhra Pradesh, Madhya Pradesh, and Karnataka. This obviously puts Rajasthan in prime position to become an exporter of solar energy to other states in the years to come. Gujarat seems to be blessed as one of the few states with both sun and wind, and so besides being the second biggest producer of solar power, it has until recently been the second biggest producer of wind power. It might now be the biggest, surpassing Tamil Nadu. Again, uh, there are two main types of wind power production, on land and offshore. Just as Rajasthan and Gujarat have powered India's solar revolution, it has mainly been Tamil Nadu and Gujarat which have been at the forefront of the surge in wind power. If we recall that Gujarat uses gas for almost 25% of its energy mix, that would make it one of the cleaner state economies in India. Given that much of the development of solar and wind energy has been happening in the west and south of the country, the obvious question is, who is investing? Which are the companies powering this rapid development? And are they making any money? Well, unlike coal and oil and gas, renewables have been left largely to the private sector. Having come up in just the last decade or so, the renewable sector was born at just the right time, well after the craze for nationalization and government control of economic activity. In fact, public sector undertakings barely figure in the top 10 producers of either wind or solar power. Perhaps the biggest player in India, a producer of wind and solar power, is Greenco Energy Holdings, headquartered in Hyderabad which has Singapore's GIC Sovereign Wealth Fund as a majority shareholder. Other big players include, of course, Adani in solar power, Tata Power in both wind and solar, as well as Renew Power, previously majority owned by Goldman Sachs and now by the Canadian Pension Board. It seems that foreign governments are keener to invest in the sector than the government of India is. The renewable sector is an absolute magnet for these foreign investors looking to meet all sorts of mandates for ethical or green investing. Being able to tell their shareholders back in Canada or Singapore that they are investing in India's green energy transition is pure gold for their owners and managers. So, are they profitable? It looks like a mixed bag. Now, just like government-owned coal producers sign power purchasing agreements or PPAs with state electricity boards, the buyers of that power, so it is the same with solar companies. The big difference is that solar companies are largely privately owned. Adani Green Energy has turned the corner and is making a lot of money, largely thanks to huge capacity additions deployment of production-maximizing technology, and the rather generous prices that state buyers are paying for its solar power. Meanwhile, the Tatas are making smaller amounts of money. However, big foreign players like Greenco and Renew 
have been mainly loss-making propositions. A company like Renew has had trouble with its PPAs in Andhra Pradesh, where a large share of its revenue was supposed to come from. So, the relationship between these private renewable energy producers and government buyers is a crucial one. Now, Indian consumers, whether businesses or households, have never been too keen on paying the true price for their electricity, wherever it might come from. So the big question is whether they will be willing to pay for renewable-powered electricity. Will the government have to come between the two and lay down a price floor for private producers like it does with coal? Or will Canadian pension funds and Singaporean insurers be happy to keep pouring money into India's green energy transition and wait for the day when they might make some money? Well, despite international agencies downgrading their ratings, foreign renewables companies in India continue to attract large foreign investors. The race to the bottom has particularly harmed the wind sector, which over the past few years saw the government auctioning capacity through reverse bidding which entailed the suppliers competing amongst themselves to provide the lowest price to the buyer, that is, the lowest electricity tariff. The policy has now been scrapped. Bidding now takes place in sealed envelopes, which contain both technical and price proposals. This lack of willingness to pay for electricity has harmed the rollout of rooftop solar particularly. In many countries abroad, the incentive to install solar panels at home is to save money on electricity bills. But given that Indian consumers are generally shielded from the true price of electricity and pay artificially low bills, that incentive to switch to solar has just not been present. And so most of India's solar energy growth has come from industrial-scale solar parks in Gujarat and Rajasthan. Of course, we have to consider the issue of technology. Whilst the parts and manufacturing for wind turbines are largely made in India, that is not the case for solar panels. I'm sure we can all guess where they come from, where most of the cheap things we cannot do without come from. Yes, China. Throughout the 2010s, during the great surge in solar energy production in India, close to 90% of the solar panels being installed in the country were being imported from China. In fact, the steep drop in the cost of solar energy through the decade was made possible by high-quality and low-cost Chinese solar panels. Those Chinese solar panel companies were heavily subsidized by the Chinese government. So the argument has been made that the Chinese government has, indirectly, been subsidizing India's surge in solar power production. But the government of India did not see things this way, and back in 2018 imposed a steep tariff on Chinese imported solar panels. Such a policy only served to make local solar-based electricity just that bit more expensive. Whilst, in a familiar story, Indian manufacturers were not able to fill the gap to produce enough to meet local Indian demand. That policy is now subject to reconsideration by the government of India. Now this boom in solar and wind energy 
has contributed greatly to India's energy mix over the past decade, and the prospects look good. But we have to remember that the sector is expanding at a slower rate than it could, and the overall demand for electricity continues to grow at a rapid rate. So, far from sending coal mines to sleep, solar and wind power are providing a supplementary supply, making the dependence on coal a bit less, in fact a lot less, than it otherwise would be. Interesting is the effect that renewables have had on gas. Rather than displacing coal, what renewables have done in the energy mix is diminish the incentive for the adoption of gas. This has partly been because of recent high gas prices, but at a more fundamental level, it is because solar and wind are so abundant in India, with such eager investors, both at home and abroad. For the generation of electricity, coal and solar are the preferred energy sources, with wind and then gas providing smaller inputs into the grid. To start with, I said that the glass was half full, with no need to get too pessimistic about missing the ambitious targets which had been set. Well, maybe we could see the glasses half empty, and this would give us some urgency to power the transition to renewables. See, if we could solve the riddle of rooftop solar and get our houses powered by solar and ramp up wind power production in our seven windy states, particularly offshore wind production in coastal states, we could make our power supply both more abundant and greener, all from domestic production, and at least reduce our dependence on coal and maybe even foreign oil as we start driving on electric cars powered by Indian sun and Indian wind. A tantalizing prospect.